Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Well, good morning, and let me extend my warm welcome to everyone here. Um, We are in uh, Leviticus chapter 1 this morning, uh, which is on page 81 of um, the Church Black Bibles, or on page 96 of the large print. We'll be reading the, the whole chapter together. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall slay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces, and the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, a priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar." But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offerings of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head. And burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it before the cast it beside the altar on the east side, in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, 
with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Well, do keep uh, your Bibles open there at uh, Leviticus chapter 1. Because do you know that there is a smell that God loves this morning? Seems a strange thing to say, doesn't it? And yet, three times we are told in this passage that there is a smell that God loves. Each time at the end of each section in this passage we have it. Verse 9, verse 13, and verse 17. With a pleasing aroma to the Lord. There's a smell that God loves. And the question then is, what is the smell that God loves? Lavender? Freshly baked bread? Coffee? Surely coffee, right? Well, how about a burnt offering? An animal from the herd? A bull? Or from the flock? A sheep or a goat? Taken and flayed and cut into pieces and burnt on the altar? Really, God? Death smelling good? A death leading to God being pleased? It's hard to get our heads around this on a day like today, isn't it? Remembrance Sunday. You know, as we think of all the the brutal bloodshed over the course of the wars, as we we think of the, the untold grief of families back at home, it's easy to wonder, isn't it, can any good come from death? Well, this morning, I want us to try and and answer these questions by by looking in more detail at at the the offering here. Now, the the book of Leviticus is a book, I think, if we're honest, is one that some of us probably struggle with. You know, it's classically the book uh, in which Bible and A-year reading plans meet their slow decline. You know, Genesis, great. Exodus, 1 to 24, wonderful. 25 to 40, bit harder. And by Leviticus 5, we're thinking that we're going to take a break and go to a gospel. And on first reading, it's not hard to see why is it. You know, it's it's a book filled with sacrifices, with instructions for, for priests, telling us what animals are clean and unclean, laws for cleansing lepers. You know, it all seems a bit removed from us in our world. And in one sense, it is. You know, life for God's people today looks different from the believers in the day of the book of Leviticus. You know, we we are not under the Mosaic covenant that they were under. You know, we we do not live in a theocracy. And what that means is, is some of the laws in this book are going to apply to us differently from the people of God back then. You know, you'll be glad to know that at the end of this sermon, we're not going to all go to a farm somewhere in Aberdeen and, and do some animal sacrifices. But these factors do mean that it's harder for us to see how these apply to us today. Leviticus calls us to work hard at what God wants us to see. A wise old saint once said that the Bible doesn't unearth its treasures to chance inquiry. The Bible doesn't unearth its treasures to chance inquiry. And so before we look at this chapter in more detail, I want to give us two things that that I hope will help us um, as we come to Leviticus 1 today and and more generally as as we come to Leviticus in our own time. Now, firstly, although we we may apply some of these laws differently today, we are not at liberty to abandon any of them. 
You know, there's no law in this book that you can go to and, and scribble any of them out. There's no law in here that doesn't have some sort of implication for us today. And the reason for that is because each of the laws in this book are expressions of the values of the lawgiver. Laws are expressions of the values of the lawgiver. Now that's true today, isn't it, in our own country? You know, for example, we have laws against burglary because we care about people's personal property. You know, we have laws about what it means for a fair trial to be uh, conducted because we, we care about justice. And so even the laws here in this book, which are, are concerned with things to do with uh, cultural situations, they are not void because they teach us, of, us about something of the values of the one who's given them. That They teach us something about the character of God. And secondly, I think it will help us if we see that this, uh, this book, Leviticus, isn't simply a book of laws, but rather these laws are in a story. It's a book that's following us through the story of God's covenant people. Notice how the book starts. Look down at verse 1 and verse 2. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. In other words, the story is continuing. It's continuing on from Exodus chapter 40. The Lord has spoken from the tent of meeting, from the tabernacle which the Lord has commanded to to be built uh, in Exodus 25 and following. And by the, end of the ex- by the end of Exodus, the tabernacle has finally been built. The instructions had been given in Exodus chapter 40, verse 16. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. And that's a repeated refrain right the way throughout uh, the end of Exodus. As the Lord had commanded Moses is repeated seven times between then and the end of the chapter. The tabernacle, the place where God had promised earlier in Exodus was going to be the dwelling place of God and the tent of meeting is complete. It's complete exactly as the Lord had commanded. And yet there is a serious hitch at the end of the book of Exodus. Turn back with me to Exodus 40, verse 34 to 35. I'm going to read this for us. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is Moses, the one who has been the people of Israel's mediator up until this point. The one who was able to ascend into God's presence on the mountain in the clouded summit on Mount Sinai. Moses, not even Moses, can enter the tent of meeting. And did you notice why? Because the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Where God dwells, humanity can't. 
sinful humanity can't. It's been the problem since Genesis 3 where where Adam and Eve were drove out of the garden and God placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned away and guarded the tree of life. And so as we come to the book of Leviticus, the big question is, how are God's people going to meet with their God? How can they have access to Yahweh? How is the tabernacle both going to be uh, the tent of meeting and the dwelling place of God? How can we meet with God when even Moses can't? It's not a dissimilar situation today, is it? How can we be with God? And as we've noticed already, the story is continuing, isn't it? The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And so in these chapters, we're seeing how the story unfolds. So hold on to that. We're going to come back to it later. But but remember, these laws in Leviticus are within a story. And this narrative is going to help us to see its importance. But now let's take a closer look at the burnt offering here. Now notice that the whole chapter here is, is concerned with the burnt offering, but there are three acceptable sources for this offering to come from. Verse 3, verse 10, and verse 14. They, they all start with, if his offering gift, and then there are three places where the offerings come from. Verse 3, we've got the herds. Verse 10, the flock. And verse 14, the birds. Now, one of the important details of these offerings is that they were supposed to be costly for the offerer. Did you notice these animals, whether they were from the herd or from the flock, were to be without blemish? You know, the the offerer was was not to come with with their ugly duckling or with their scabby cow or their their three-legged sheep. No, he was to come with the best that he had, the best that he could afford, and, and the idea is that if you were wealthy enough to afford the cow without blemish, you, you couldn't just offer the sheep or the goat. It, there wasn't supposed to be uh, underhand tactics here. And so even though the turtle dove or, or the pigeon didn't have to be without blemish, the idea is similar. Because if you couldn't afford an animal from the herd or from the flock, these animals would be the top of your range. So the offerer would be under no illusion about the costliness of the offering. And he'd also be under no illusion that that the offering was in fact representing him. That's what's happening in verse 4. The offerer is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him. You know, it might seem strange, this kind of representing language, but... We do still hear it today. You know, you, you might hear in, in the Olympics, the athletes there, that, that they're representing Great Britain. Or, or uh, kids at school, you, you might hear when you go on a school trip, teachers tell you to, um, to behave because you're, you're wearing the school colors. You're, you're representing the school. And so we've got the representing idea here, but, we've all, but the seriousness of the situation is much more solemn For look what happens to our representative, to our substitute. Verse 5, 
Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. The life of the animal is given in exchange for the life of the offerer. And that's what's happening in the second half of verse 5. The priest throwing the blood against the sides of the altar. Now we, we usually associate blood with death, but, but actually here, the idea is that the blood is the life of the animal. That, that's why no Israelites were to, to eat blood, because it's the life. And so the blood, the life of the animal, was thrown against the sides of the altar. It was life coming into contact with the divine. Now just put yourselves in the shoes of the offerer for a second. Think about the costliness of this offering to you. Think about acknowledging that the animal is, in fact, representing you. That as you kill it, it's suffering the fate that you deserve. It would have been a painful, solemn experience. Sin is serious. It deserves death. And all of it deserves death. It's easy to get into the habit of respectable sins, isn't it? Hear these words from uh, Jerry Bridges. In fact, we often indulge in what I call the respectable or even acceptable sins without any sense of sin. You know, we are incensed, and rightly so, when a major denomination ordained a a practicing homosexual as a bishop. But why do we not also mourn over our selfishness, our critical spirit, our impatience, and our anger? It's easy to let ourselves off the hook by saying that these sins are not as bad as the flagrant ones of society. But God has not given us the authority to establish values for different sins. Instead, in James, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Sin is serious and it needs atonement. And that's what we have in verse 4. The reason for these rituals to make atonement for him. Atonement, at one minute, to bring the offer into the presence of the Lord. That's what the burnt offering is all about, being brought into the presence of the Lord. Now, our Bibles, they they call this the the burnt offering, but it it literally means ascent. This is the ascension offering. It's, It's a going up offering. For Notice where the offering ends up. As it burns and and turns into smoke, the smoke goes up and becomes a pleasing aroma to the Lord, verse 9. But how is that? Well, well, it's all to do with the way the tabernacle is built. Now, the tabernacle was a tent that had three parts to it. There was a courtyard, the holy place, and the most holy place. Now, out in the, the bronze, uh, sorry, out in the courtyard is a bronze altar where, where these offerings were happening. And the tabernacle was, was built as if it actually had three levels. You know, the idea is a bit like Mount Sinai, where you, where you had the summit where only Moses could go. You had the, the second zone where the leaders were. 
And the bottom you had the outside, the worshippers. And so this offering, these offerings would burn on the bronze altar. And then the smoke rises into the holy place where the gold altar is in, in the middle room. And so see what is happening. The animal is burnt up and arrives symbolically on the gold altar where the altar of incense is, the smelling of sweet perfume. And so by the time it reaches God symbolically, it's sweet, smelling aroma, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The animal representing the offer in the Lord's presence, and it's pleasing to him. And we see that in the story as it continues. Jump forward with me to Leviticus 9. Verses 22 to 24. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Leviticus chapter 9. This is finally where there is access to the presence of God. And did you see how that is possible through offerings, through the burnt offerings. There is no access to the presence of God. There is no life with God without sacrifice. It's a question Christians are often asked, isn't it? You know, I, I like uh, some of Jesus' teachings. You know, he, he says some interesting things. But this death business, what, what's that all about? You know, I, I don't really need someone to die for my sins. What, what a waste of life. You know, I'm a good person. Care about climate change. Give to charity. So if there's a God, I'm, I'm sure he'll be pleased with me, right? Leviticus 1 shows that there is no atonement without death. A holy God cannot meet with a sinful people without sacrifice. His purity and perfection cannot come into contact with the impure and the evil. A burnt offering is necessary for God's people to draw near, for there to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The burnt offering is symbolically taking the offer into the presence of the Lord. And it's a glorious moment. And yet it's all too short-lived, isn't it? If we, if we continued in, in the story today, went on to Leviticus 9 and 10 with Nadab and Abihu, we'd see why. The problem is that sin it just rears its ugly head once again. No, what, what we need is not the sacrifice of an animal, but of one like us. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
We need what the law was foreshadowing. The true realities. Not the same sacrifice continually offered every year, but the one sacrifice that makes perfect those who draw near. We need a costly offering. We need an offering, a lamb without defect or blemish that represents us. We need an offering that bears our sins on their body. We need an offering that offers all of themselves for us. We need an offering not that we give or we provide, but one that the Father sends. We need the one who says to the Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. We need Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ is the fragrant offering, the ultimate burnt offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The pleasing aroma that takes us to the Father, to himself. That's the goal of these offerings, isn't it? That the whole purpose of them, and in fact, it's the whole purpose of the gospel, isn't it? To bring us into the presence of the Lord, to be with him. But I wonder if sometimes we can start to attribute the, the means that God uses to bring us to him with the goal of the gospel. Not that the means aren't important, are they? No, they're vital. I hope you've seen that today with the, the burnt offering. But the goal of salvation was not this burnt offering or the priests. The goal of salvation is, is not being baptized or, or being a member in a particular church. The goal of salvation is not even forgiveness. It is bringing people to God himself. It is people ascending into his presence. Sunday, the 14th of November, Remembrance Sunday. Can anything good come from death? Why is it that men and women bravely risked and and still uh, risk their lives today offer themselves like that? Well, surely in part... It's for the freedom, for for peace of others, for an end to hostilities. There is a goal and a reward that actually makes it worth it. There is the goal of armistice, peace. Leviticus 1, there is death, there is bloodshed, but there is atonement. For Jesus, there is mockery, abandonment and death but there is once for all atonement that brings us to him what is the smell that God loves it's the smell of an offering that brings his people to him Amen